Five. So, a reminder: we have a Christmas party for Mason Day Me coming up. Uh, we have 19 or so more wish lists that are will be in the foyer, uh, pinned up on the blinds there. And so, um, this is uh, there's a group of our friends at Mason that live uh, together downtown, and so we go and do a Christmas party for them. They all make a wish list of what they want for Christmas. We divvy that up, and we try to do the best we can at knocking that out. And the party is coming up on the 9th of December, I think. Is that right? Okay, 9th of December. And we're trying to get all those uh, wish lists uh, taken care of. So if you want to take one, it can be individuals, groups of friends, group, it doesn't really matter. They're all pinned back there. All the information of what to do and when and all that kind of stuff is uh, on the piece of paper. So you take the big piece of paper, you fill out the small one, you leave it there in the basket, and uh, that will answer all your questions. Uh, gifts are due in two weeks, and so just wanted to kind of remind you about that. Um, in Mark chapter 5, uh, we get to what I think is just a weird story. You know, there's plenty of stories in the Gospels that, um, you know, they're just, you read them and they're like, they're encouraging or they're, uh, you know, sometimes they're funny and sometimes you're just like, whoa, wow, that's really awesome. And this is one that's always been weird to me. Um, and there's, if you remember uh, our, our dear friend, Jonathan Wilmore, uh, Jonathan passed away a couple years ago. This was a story that he always used as an explanation as to why he doesn't eat pork. Um, and I, I, I don't know why, maybe some of you are like this, but like he would make a big deal out of why he did, would never eat pork chops or carnitas or like anything else. He just thought it was absolutely disgusting, and he always blamed this story. Um, so if you don't know who he is, then just excuse that. But if you know who he is, then maybe you will think of him as well. Um, so this is just one of those weird stories that, uh, that I think is awesome, but it's just strange. So let's, let me read it. Starting verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He, uh, he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound up with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out 
and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and uh, told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it, it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So the bullet points of the story, uh, you have a man who has thousands of demons inside of him, and no one knows what to do with him. He lives in, a gra- in the graveyard, uh, has superhuman strength, they have no idea what to do, he's completely ostracized, runs up to Jesus, knows his name, Demon, uh, demons inside of him begin to have a dialogue with Jesus. Uh, Jesus sends, like, gives them permission to go from the man into a, a bunch of pigs who run down into the sea and drown themselves. And then the guy's like, hey, I want to come with you. And Jesus is like, no, go tell everybody what just happened. And so he did it. That's, those are the bullet points of the story. Like, I mean, I understand why Jonathan didn't want to eat pork, I guess, now a little bit. It doesn't bother me, though, so bring it on. This is a weird story. So the so last week they had been in the in the boat, and the storm came up, and Jesus like spoke to nature and told the the wind and the waves to be still, and they were. And the boat drifts to a different side of the lake, and they get to it's like the southeast part of the Sea of Galilee, and they're um, into a region that is not Jewish, and you know it's not Jewish. Uh, not only from history and all that kind of stuff, but just the fact that there are pigs means that this was not a Jewish neighborhood. You know, um, this uh, this was a uh, kind of a, a mysterious region in, in some ways. That Rome had come through at different points and um, they'd been under different influence and stuff. But it was not Jewish. It was like definitely what what the like New Testament writers would call the Gentile uh, territory, which just means that it wasn't Jewish. And so Jesus shows up there, and this whole interaction is like, it's brief. Um, and I was reading it, and I was like, why, okay, why is, this, why is this here? You know, what are we supposed to know about this? Like, what, is, what, what do we learn here? And we, I think that we really see the agenda of Satan, and we see the agenda of Jesus, like really clear, like clearly like played out in front of us. And both of those may be things that you assume to know, that I assume to know. Uh, but one of the things about going sequentially through the Scriptures is that God knows exactly when you're going to get to like what passages of Scripture. And uh, these are not things that can be dismissed. And so I want to talk about Satan's agenda. Uh, and I want to talk about Jesus' agenda. And before I get into the specifics of that, let me, let me do a little quick recap on Satan and demons and all that kind of stuff. Because... Uh, you read this story and you're like, man, this guy has a th- like not just a thousand, thousands, that's what legion means, thousands of demons inside of him. He's naked living in a graveyard, cutting himself with stones, crying out all the time, and has superhuman strength and they don't know what to do with him. And you're thinking, I don't really want to go down that road. You know, like I don't want that to happen to me ever. 
the, let me just right away, this will not happen to you. As a Christian, you cannot be possessed by a demon. All right? uh, so let me just kind of rule that out. So if you came in here and you're kind of worried reading this story, this is not one of those times where you need to worry about that. But we do need to be educated. So really, really quick recap on, on some things. There is a hierarchy that goes like this. God's at the top. Angels are right below that. Uh, humans are right below that. Creation is right below that. In terms of authority, in terms of stewardship, um, humans are taking care of creation. Angels are, uh, in different ways, uh, protecting and you know us and that kind of stuff. You do not have a guardian angel, by the way, in case you... Uh, are wondering, you don't have one assigned to you. There are many assigned to all of us. It's not real sure how that works, but just know that. You don't have a guardian angel. And then God is at the top, and God is, is sovereignly overseeing all of those things. On the new earth, angels and humans get, there's reversal in the hierarchy. So, for eternity, it'll be God, and then, then humans, and then like angels and creation, and stuff like that. But for now, that's, that's how it works. Uh, that there is an, an order to it. And angels were created. They're spiritual beings. They, um, they have like, a, like free moral judgment and intelligence, but they don't have bodies. They're not physical bodies. Uh, this is like when you, if you were to study all that the scriptures tell us about angels, that's kind of the, those are the high points that, that they would, would, would show. They, they don't have bodies. They were created by God to serve God and to serve us uh, at, like at His leadership, but they are able to make choices and somewhere along the way, between the sixth stage of creation and Genesis 3, um, there was a rebellion among the angels. So they have, they're able to make their own moral judgments, and they're very smart. Um, and so they, are, uh, they have this free will, and there was a rebellion led by the, um, by the angel named Lucifer. And uh, I know this sounds crazy, but this, this is what the Bible says. Lucifer led this rebellion of angels to challenge God at some point, and God uh, kicked them out of heaven. There was a separation that was there. And so uh, somewhere in there, that's what happened. Uh, you can read Second Peter 2 or Jude 6 if you want to learn more about that. Um, but they were, they were challenging God for power. They, were, they thought, well, I'm pretty smart, and I kind of know what's up, and, and uh, you know, I think I can do what he does. And so they went at him somehow. And God says, oh, no, 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 that's not how this works. And so they were, uh, they essentially sinned and were separate from God, but there was no, there's no possibility for redemption with them. And this apparently makes them very angry. <laughs> they don't get a, a chance like we do. We are also rebels against God, but they, there's no opportunity for redemption. There's no chance for a, a uh, rebellious angel to get saved and return to the Lord. Once they rebelled, they are all in a different camp. And all of those angels are what we call demons. And we've seen a lot of horror movies, and we let her, you know, read a lot of weird fiction, and we kind of are in this whole thing to where we, th- we th- are thinking certain things when you hear the word demon. Um, and when we read this story, and this guy has thousands of demons in him, like our minds get to racing. But we need to, to understand that, biblically speaking, demons are angels who rebelled. And they, uh, they now have kind of a different agenda, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, the Satan is their leader. He's the head of the demons and led the uh, rebellion. Um, here's something about angels. They're not omnipresent. They're not all-knowing. They're not all-powerful. So, God is everywhere. Satan, demons, they're not. They're one place at a time. 
Um, but, so they're not omnipresent. They're not all-knowing. They don't have infinite knowledge like God does. They, uh, they cannot read your minds. Can't read my mind. But they're, I mean, they're, they're strong. You know, like there's, there's a legitimate battle going on between the angels that serve God and the angels that oppose God. And those angels and demons are battling each other all the time. But we have to recognize that they are not everywhere. They're not omnipresent. They're not uh, omniscient. There isn't this infinite thing to them. They are very much limited by God. And their tactics are pretty dirty sometimes. But at the end of the day, even though they're in, in the hierarchy, it's God and the angels and then us, that does not mean that they can possess us. They cannot come and live inside you. Only God can come and live inside you. So there is this unseen battle happening, according to the scriptures, where God is doing all this amazing stuff on the earth, and these angels uh, that have rebelled, these demons, are opposing him. They're trying to keep people from becoming Christians. They're trying to keep Christians from living abundantly. Anything where God, that is bringing glory to God, they're trying to frustrate that and work against it. So, that's a, probably a poor synopsis, but that's the best I could do. What is Satan's agenda? We'll go back to the story. What is the agenda of the demons that we see here? Um, let me summarize it this way. Uh, destruction and death. That is the agenda of our, of our enemy. Um, that is all of the demons, Satan being the leader. So it's his agenda and it's their agenda. It's this collective, what are we trying to do? We're trying to destroy and kill. Anything that God loves, we're going after it. We hate him, we hate what he loves, and uh, however we can destroy it. In our formless uh, you know, like not omnipresent, not omniscient, not all those kind of things, but to the best of their ability, they're going to they're gonna try to do that. That's what they're going after. And you see it in this story very clearly. Um, let's, let's, I want to look at it a little more closely. So let me just describe, uh, let me read the description, sorry. Look at verse, uh, verse 2. We just stepped out of the boat. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now that's code word for uh, like he has demons in him. Uh, verse 3, he lived among the tombs. Why would he live among the tombs? Well, it's because they had, just, they had obviously just pushed him to the outskirts of society. Like it was the only place that he could function. No one knew what to do with him. Verse 3, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had... Been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. This, this, this guy was on another level, and they had no idea what to do. Night and day, verse 5, night, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. So people knew who this guy was. You can tell by at the end of the story when they come up and they see him, you know, in, like in his right mind is what it says. Uh, when they see him, they're like, whoa, what's going on here? Like, they know who this guy is. He had a reputation. They had tried and tried and tried to the point where they didn't know what else to do. So they just tried to like, wrap a chain around him, and that didn't even work. And so they had eventually just pushed him to the outskirts, pushed him to the graveyard where the dead bodies were. And he just screams and cries out all the I mean, can you, can you imagine the misery of this man? I can't wait to meet this guy on the new earth. 
He'll be there. And we'll get to talk to him. And we'll be like, dude, what? (laughs) Tell me your story. So all these demons inside of him. So just just there, there, that much of the story, you see the agenda of the enemy. He's like, hey, we're going to destroy this guy. Like we're just going to bring absolute misery and destruction into his life. And that description of someone, and there ain't a person in this room who will want to trade places with someone in that condition. So verse 6, when he sees uh, Jesus from far away, he ran and fell down before him. Cries out with a loud voice, said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus had been like telling this guy, he had been telling the demons, Come out of him. And they weren't doing it. And I don't know what to do with that part of the story. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like You would expect them, like Jesus says, and they ha- like, don't have a choice. But there's a resistance there somehow. And I, I, I researched all kinds of stuff. And no one really wants to talk about that part of the story. So I don't know what to do with it other than to acknowledge the fact that Jesus was saying, come out of him. And the guy's like, whoa, how about we talk first? So Jesus is like, okay, we, we could talk it out a little bit. So tell me what your name is. And the dude says, Legion. Uh, for we are many. I was tempted to, when I was reading it, to use a really weird voice when I said that part, but I didn't. Uh, but like, that's the, it, would you do that? If you're like, I think this guy might have a demon. I think I'm going to ask him his name. I'd be like, pew, I'll be going back on the boat. He says, what's your name? He says, Legion, which was a, a word used in Roman armies uh, to, it could represent up to 6,000 soldiers were in a legion. So it, maybe he has 6,000. Maybe most people just, most of the commentators say, it's probably just me he has literally thousands of like demon angels in, inside of him. He says, well, there's a, just so you know, Jesus, there's a lot of us. Now they already know his name, which is weird. He's in a Gentile region. His reputation has not spread to this part of the world yet. They see him get off the boat and they run over. They're like, we know who that is. We are, we're in trouble. This is where, my name is Legion, for we are many. Verse 10, begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Because, well, the demons know. They know what their future looks like. Um, a great herd of pigs was there on the hillside and they begged him. And they said, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. They're negotiating. Which is is comical to me. So he gave them permission. A reminder of his authority. And the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, you imagine 2,000 pigs just take off running, and they run down a hill into the ocean and voluntarily drown themselves. I'm not saying pigs are super smart, but they probably are smarter than this. They possessed the pigs, and the pigs drowned themselves. I read this as I was studying for this passage. Someone said, it's, it's like the demons decided, well, we've tried to destroy this man, but we obviously can't. Like, thoroughly. So we'll destroy these pigs. Because that's what we're about, and that's what we do. We destroy and we kill. That's the agenda... Of our enemy. 
is to bring destruction and death. They had tried, and that proves that there, there's a limit. And I hope that God, um, like, I hope that God helps us to understand this. That Satan, demons, all that kind of stuff, cannot possess us. But they don't have to possess us in order to bring destruction. You know, like we don't need to worry about this exact scenario happening to us. But it certainly seems like the enemy will settle for a lot less intense involvement in your life. As long as the result is the same. Like you don't have to be uh, possessed by thousands of demons sitting naked in a graveyard, cutting yourself with stones and screaming out. You don't have to be all that in order to be miserable. So he doesn't have to possess us. Satan, the demons don't have to possess you in order uh, to bring destruction. And destruction is a pretty harsh word, but I'm going to keep using it. Um, destruction implies that there's no coming back, and we know that there is. But I began to think and just pray about the, the fact that Satan's like, well, let me, you know, I'll look at this life. God obviously loves this person. Jesus died for this person, so we want to hurt Jesus. We want to hurt the person and everyone that the person loves. And if I can't possess them because they're his, I bet there are other ways I can bring pain into their lives. I bet there are other ways I can keep them from abundant life. I bet there are ways I can make them just as miserable as this guy was. And I could probably even keep them from telling other people how miserable they are. And that just makes it so much worse. I've talked before about the, how the, our enemy will use deception. Um, these were in a sermon I did a while back. Deception, accusation, temptation, aggravation. They all ended in Asian and I didn't know what to do about it, so... I just rolled with it. Deception. Um, these like little, these little ways, these big obvious ways. Anything, any way that, that God can, um, that the enemy can lie about God or about the Bible or about you or about other people, about the church. He'll accuse. Uh, he'll point out every mistake you make and make you try to second guess your identity or your salvation and just, just pointing the finger at you all the time. There's temptation, just whispering and luring you into behaviors that are that go against who you really are. And they're not really what you want to do, but for some reason you're thinking, what's the big deal? Or he'll, he'll aggravate, he'll capitalize on you in weak moments and just stir the pot, make things worse. Probably in our experience, we won't, uh, we won't have to get as severe as this guy in order to still be kind of destroyed. Maybe destruction is too harsh. Maybe it's more, more about woundedness. Maybe it's about shame. Maybe it's about fear. Maybe it's about you know, a, a whole number of other things. Anything that just keeps you very neutral. Keeps you coming to, coming to like church services, but not really participating. Just 
I just want to keep, kind of keep make sure no one's like coming after me to find out where I've been. Kind of keeping keeping the, the the right perception. Make sure everyone's kind of thinks you're doing okay, all that kind of stuff. But on the inside, on the inside, you can maybe identify with the misery of this man in the story. And that is what that's the agenda of our enemy is that kind of destruction and death. Maybe not the kind that keeps you out of heaven, because that's really not his call, but the kind that just that keeps you from abundance here, living in the fullness of who God made you to be, um, from like being a faith strengthener in your community, like your like community group, but also like the people that you're around all the time, like uh, that keeps you from everything that you want, everything he has for you, all that kind of stuff. If, if our enemy can just kind of keep us really complacent and neutral, then that's a victory. And it stinks because you know, like I have my like I have my own brokenness to deal with, like my my own like rebellious self that Jesus has uh, crucified. And it's slowly dying, and he's like, like I'm living in his kingdom more and more. But I still carry that brokenness, and you carry that too. And, and that's, a, that's enough, you know, just my own leaning towards self. Plus the influence of the world around us that's always just affirming the wrong things. And then this like angelic, demonic, you know, attack thing that's happening. It's a, there's a battle going on all the time. And we've all seen... We've all seen people go down that road. And even though you know, God is a, he's a restorer, He's a reconciler, I believe that with all my heart, that there's, there really isn't a situation where true destruction and like the truest sense of the word will come. But if, in times when we are living lives of shame and secret sin... And refusing to forgive and refusing to confess and all those kinds of things that, that we know are, are healthy and we know that he's drawing us into. But when we live in that tree line, in those shadows, and we're hiding, um, you end up hurting a lot of people along the way. And I, I, I've done it. Many of you, I'm assuming, have probably done it. In times when you when that when that accusation or temptation or deception or any of those kinds of things, all those things are happening. Um, he's the enemy is lying to you and and trying to like draw you into rebellion against God, which you already have your own kind of brokenness there, and the world is kind of doing that, and it's all happening. And whenever we begin to say yes to those things, to believe those things, to act on those things. We're taking people out the whole time, all around us. And all that does is play right into the agenda of this enemy. He's like, yeah, you just, you just hold off. John Piper preached a sermon at Passion a couple of years ago. And uh, he focused in on, on one, one specific like sin, like sin pattern. But... Uh, so just kind of apply it to a bunch of things. I never really thought about it this way. He said, what if, what if guilt and shame over these, over these things in our lives, that these, these battles that we're having, um, 
where like this like inner destruction that's happening all the time in our own misery and our maybe our refusal to let God lead us into healing and, and restoration and stuff. What if all of those things that are keeping us living less than abundant lives is the reason why the gospel has not reached the nations yet? Like, what if that's the ploy of the enemy? Is like, well, I don't have to possess all of you with demons. All I really need to do is lie to you, tell you that you really, like God doesn't really love you that much, or that thing that you did that time is really not forgivable, or you're really not good enough to carry the gospel to these people, or you're not, you know, you're not this or you're this or this, or you are this or this or this, and just all the lies and deception and temptation and accusation. What if that's all he's really having to do, and it just keeps us very neutral? And what if that's why we're still trying to figure out what's wrong with the church? Maybe we know what's wrong with the church. Maybe we've, we've just let that destruction seep its way into our minds and our hearts too much. And what if it's kept us from saying yes to Him? And I've, I've been there plenty, plenty of times. Where I know, I know what he is drawing me into. And I have all these like, yeah, but this, but this, but this, but this, but this. What we need to do is we need to look at this story and we need to say, huh, okay. Well, now I know where that comes from. We see the agenda that played out right here. You want to see what happens to these pigs? That's what is trying to happen to your life. Trying to ruin your marriage. Trying to ruin your kids. Trying to ruin your friendships. Trying to ruin your families. Trying to ruin your community group. Trying to ruin our church. Trying to ruin whatever God has next for us. Trying to do that in every life of every person all around the world all the time. That's what's happening. That's the agenda. You think about those pigs charging down a hill and drowning themselves. And that's exactly, that, that is a picture of what our enemy wants for us. So, don't think that you have to be possessed by thousands of demons to be miserable. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are miserable right now. Some of you have been miserable and you're like, yeah, I remember being there. I remember it was like I was being tortured. <laughs> so you need to know that there is another agenda at play. This guy couldn't change his situation. And you can't change your situation. If, you're, if you are a saved person, like Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, and you have crossed from death into life, and yet you are living short of the abundance that He has for you, your solution is the same as this guy's solution. It's just Jesus' agenda taking over like that becomes the predominant narrative. And so what is, what is Jesus' narrative? Well, look, look at this story. I mean, Jesus is not afraid of this guy. Everyone's terrified of this dude. He comes running. You got thousands, thousands of demons in a guy, and he's running at you? And Jesus is like, what's your name? He's not afraid. Everyone else is terrified. He's not afraid. He's not afraid of whatever's going on in your life either. He's not afraid of what's going on in my life. We might be we might be scared. We might have all those things, but Jesus, no. 
The agenda of the enemy is destruction and death. The agenda of Jesus is restoration and life. So when he sent, so the demon pigs, like running into the sea, first of all, that, that foreshadows their ultimate demise in Revelation 20. At the, at the end of all this, like the end of our story, before the eternal new earth begins, uh, the Bible says that Satan and the demons and all of evil, is, it's drowned in a sea. And so those pigs running down into the water, that's just, that's just predicting. It's like, hey, that's going to happen again in a much bigger level. That that's what Jesus, that's, that's what Jesus is going to do with all the like, destruction and death and all the things that are coming our way. And notice that all he has to do to free the man is just give the demons permission to leave. They want out. They want to go destroy something. They can't destroy the man. They go destroy the pigs. And so with just a word, the man's freed from the demons. Uh, we find him clothed. Assuming Jesus took care of that. Uh, and he's in his right mind. Verse 15. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Like, it freaked them out to see this guy, like, just a normal, like, in his normal state. He's just sitting there. And it scares everyone. That with a word, Jesus is like, okay, freedom for you. Death and destruction, you want to destroy things? Okay, go destroy yourselves. That's fine. You're not going to destroy this man made my image. It's not, I'm not going to stand for it. He frees the man. But this doesn't mean that, the man was, that his life was all fixed and easy from now on. You think this guy had a long road ahead of him? Yeah. I mean, he had a story to tell, you know, like all that stuff. But like, people were like, no, no, we know who you are. What's going, what's going on here? And as great as he was, as glad as he was to be free, he still had a lot of explaining to do. And a great story to tell, but probably one that wasn't going to be believed very much. And he probably had a lot of people who were super mad that 2,000 of their pigs just died. With a lot of income. Probably didn't really care about this guy very much. They are more worried about that. When, when Jesus speaks life into us, uh, when he crosses you from death into life, it does not mean that everything is in immediately fixed and you have no more problems. And I think we all know that, but there, there, is, there is a thread of teaching that runs throughout the church that, that that's the picture they're trying to paint. If you really have faith, you'll be super rich and you won't be sick ever and nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. And uh, If you are sick or you aren't rich or something bad does happen to you, then it's probably because your faith isn't very strong. It's probably because God is upset with you or you're, you know, you... You just need to believe more, you need to pray more, you need to tithe more, uh, all that kind of stuff. But the truth is, our story is a lot more like this man. Like, Jesus took care of the big problem, and then he sent him on a mission. God's like, hey, I want to go with you. And she's like, no, 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 you go to all your friends and you tell them what the Lord has done. This is the beginning of the gospel going to the non-Jewish world. He's like, hey, I'm going to make one missionary. I'm going to send you with a phenomenal story. You go tell them all. Uh, go tell all your friends what God's done. How he's had mercy on you. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of the Great Commission. This guy. Former demon. 
missionary to the Gentiles. When God saves us, when He crosses us from death to life, or when we say, yes, I'm going to confess this sin. I'm going to bring this into the light. I'm, I'm going to have this conversation. I'm going to seek forgiveness. Or I'm going to like forgive. Or uh, I'm going to get help for this addiction. Or, I mean, there's all these things. But when we say yes to Him, saying yes feels like the hard part, but it's, it's just the next step in the journey. So our expectation has to understand, okay, He's already taken care of the big problem. He's made us alive. And now that we are alive and He lives within us, now we have the power to do the craziest things in the world that He puts in front of us. That Jesus Christ really does have the power to change any human life. If He's going to take this former demon-possessed man and send him to become a missionary in the Decapolis, uh, then He could probably like, use you to do whatever it is. Whatever it is He's put in front of you. Whatever it is you're afraid, you're afraid to bring into the light. Whatever it is that if, if there is something that you're holding back on, you need to know that Jesus, uh, it, because He lives inside of you, the next step He puts in front of you is completely possible. He empowers it. He's with you in it. And you're surrounded by people who believe that for you as well. That that is the agenda of, of Jesus. It is uh, restoration and life. So He makes us alive and then we're... We're constantly being restored and we're constantly reconciling to each other. So just like this guy, we're in a situation that we cannot change. Jesus sets us right side up, fixes the main problem, and then the journey begins. We cannot let each other settle for less than what he has. Like abundant life is, that's who he made us to be. Um, to be like, that's what our lives are supposed to be. And, and probably you, you know, you hear this story and um, I really I've struggled to like struggle with this sermon a lot. Uh, it might be obvious to you. Um, I've struggled with it because to me it's just such a big picture thing, you know. It's like, man, what is, what is the enemy trying to do? He's trying to drown me in the sea like those pigs. He's trying, to, he's trying to do that to, my, to every relationship I have. He's trying to do that with, with anything I'm trying to say yes to Jesus about. What he wants to do is, is bring destruction through all these different things. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to do the same thing for you. And then what is, but, what, but what does Jesus have to say? Well, Jesus says, no, that's not what I have for you. I don't have destruction. I have, I have life for you. But, but you've got to say yes to me. Like you, you don't even know what life is. I'm the only one who knows what life is. I'm the author of life. And so it's like, okay, so am I gonna am I gonna keep keep letting the like enemy's agenda like run wild in life, or am I gonna just keep saying yes to Jesus and ask for his help? To me it's just it's very obvious. I thought about putting in like a third agenda in here, like the man's agenda, but really the man's agenda just became Jesus' agenda, which was just bring life and restoration to everyone. That's what we're supposed to do. And if, uh, if the agenda of the enemy to bring destruction and life in, into your world, if that is the dominant narrative, and that is keeping you from abundant life, it's keeping you from saying yes to Jesus, you need to know Jesus is not afraid of what you bring to the table. He knows exactly what to do. 
And if He's leading you to take a step toward Him, He's going to empower you to do that. The kindness and the grace and the compassion in the story is amazing. And His story is not exactly like your story and my story, but it's not also all that different. And so I hope that when you, whatever, wherever identifying parts in the story, you know, whether you can identify with the man or you identify with Jesus or identify with the pigs, I don't really know. But whatever it is, whatever the connection point is, this story is in here for a reason. And we got to it tonight for a reason. Um, God knew exactly, exactly what to do to bring this in front of us. So now is when you, you have to be responsible with it. Like as we go out of this place and we go forward, uh, the stewardship has been passed from me to try to steward this well, and now it's to, to all of us to steward well what he's doing. And the way that we handle this as a church is that we don't just like pray real quick and go. We've always kind of had some time to process it before, before that dismissal and before that happens. And so communion will be served. Adam will be serving tonight. And before you step to the communion line, or as you're in line, perhaps thinking through, what do I need to say yes to Jesus about? What, is, what in terms of abundant life, is he putting one step in front of the other for me about? Maybe you aren't sure if you even know who Jesus is. You aren't sure if you've crossed from death to life. You can't think of a better uh, first step than stepping toward Jesus offering you his body and his blood. That's what crosses us all from death to life. I'd love to talk to you about that afterwards. But maybe it has something to do with, with confession or forgiveness. or uh, Perhaps none of that applies to you. Maybe you're, maybe you're hung up on the end of the story where Jesus says, you go tell your friends what I've done. Maybe that's what it is. Whatever, whatever it meets you, that's, what, that's the beauty of God's word is he can meet us all where we are. When we approach the body and the blood and we tear the bread and we dip it in there, and Adam says, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you. Uh, that's a personal statement. That's for you. And so instead of Adam saying it, maybe think of Jesus saying it to you, him offering that to us all as we step forward. Let's stand together. God, I'm thankful, um, I'm thankful for a story that... Uh, it doesn't, doesn't make a ton of sense to me sometimes when I think about it. It just seems so out of place. For Jesus, for you to leave, for you to leave uh, the places where you are known and comfortable and establishing a ministry and uh, even just, I mean, your own, like, your own people, to go into a, fo- a region of foreigners who would not receive you very well. For you to go there just to heal this man. Just to speak into his life. To show him what your agenda is. And then to send him off with such a simple commission. Just go and tell people what I did. It really shows us what you're about. 
We've all fallen into the traps of saying yes to the lies and temptations and accusations and all those things that our, uh, our enemy brings our way, trying to keep us ashamed and uh, complacent and stagnant. For those in the room who are tired of living that way, pray that this would be the step forward that you have in mind. That they would feel uh, feel your draw, just encouraging them to just take a step toward you. We're grateful that your agenda for us is one of freedom, one of life. And so as we respond to what you're doing, prayer and communion and singing whatever whatever it is for us would you help us to show what this story has to do with our lives and give us the courage to just say yes to you we love you we pray this in your name amen all right the table is open you can come when you're ready